everyone, and thanks for joining us on another episode of the Rumcast. We are the podcast that talks all things rum with the people who love and shape it. I'm John Gullah, and co-hosting with me, as always, via the magic of the interwebs, is none other than the consummate professional himself of Zavi.co and American Rum Report fame, Will Oh my Hugginga. God. Uh, yeah, I'm I, not prepared for this new I, intro. I, I know. Like, I wanted to give you a rich intro this time. I felt like wow. you deserved it. I know, Will, you're super excited to talk more about our feature interview, actually, in this episode. Um, but first, yeah. I wanted to ask you, how are things in uh, Rocky Top, Tennessee? And what have you what? been pouring into your glass? Rocky Top, like? Tennessee? Where do you think I am? I don't live in Knoxville. I live in Nashville. <laughs> you never catch me singing Rocky Top. I grew up in an Alabama household. So come on, man. I don't know. Get the your whole, facts straight. The whole state is Rocky Top, Tennessee to me. I don't know. That's just... No, that's just a fact. No, 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 that's, no, no, no. that's not it. You I, got knew, it all I wrong. knew, yeah, I knew you were from Alabama, so so I get that part. Yeah, um, get out of here with that Rocky Top stuff. <laughs> anyway, not a John I, Denver fan, huh? I, I'm I'm doing great over here. You know, I just met uh, up with a friend for coffee in person later tonight. I'm attending a happy hour event at a local bar nice. called Chopper. That is great. And so, yeah, just getting back in the swing and doing this, these social things yeah. in person is really nice, and do, I'm enjoying it. Do people say, get to the choppa when you get there? Like, is that <laughs> they a thing? should. Like, That's say, good. Get to I the haven't heard, I haven't heard that yet, but I'm sure other it people have come thing. up with that. Yeah. Yes. Shout out to Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> um, yeah. So, you know, in honor of our guest on today's episode, which was uh, Martin Kate, uh, the owner of Smuggler's Cove in San Francisco, which is a bar that I'm sure if you're listening, you've heard of or are familiar with, perhaps you've been there. And if you haven't been there, maybe you have picked up the book Smuggler's Cove, which is uh, a book that gives many fabulous exotic cocktail recipes, uh, shares a lot of the history of tiki, but also delves into rum in, in a way that I think makes it kind of a, a, a great way to tumble down the rum rabbit hole when you're getting started. It really introduces you to the, the differences and types of rums and the, the impact that different production methods have on rum. So mm -hmm. we get into all that stuff with Martin in the interview. But before we get started, I know you have a rerum to share. Yes. I also, you know, I toyed with the idea of doing a rerum, but I decided instead to kind of do a cocktail edition of a rerun. So the spirit of mm. uh, the rerun segment is to revisit a rum that we had, you know, at some point in the distant past, but mm -hmm. haven't gone back to in a while. And to go back to it, see if our impressions of it have changed and reflect on it in a new light, so to speak. So yeah. I wanted to do that with one of my favorite cocktails from the book Smuggler's Cove, but I wanted to, this, this isn't something that I haven't had in a long time. Like, you know, I, I have these every once in a while, okay. but I wanted to make it in a way that I had not made it before by altering the types of rums that I put into it. Oh, and okay. so that cocktail is the Smuggler's Cove recipe for Planner's Punch, which is uh, a very traditional cocktail you'll find lots of different you know spins on it and things like that but mm -hmm. the recipe in smuggler's cove is uh let me pull it up here so it's an ounce of fresh lime juice three quarters an ounce of demerara syrup uh, a quarter ounce of allspice dram one of my favorite ingredients three ounces of what smuggler's cove deems a blended aged rum 
specifically from Jamaica in this recipe, and two dashes of Angostura bitters. Hmm. So we get into this, we talk about uh, the Smuggler's Cove rum categorization system with Martin in the interview. Uh, The Smuggler's Cove blended aged rum is defined as, I believe, a rum that is in the five to 14 years of age, somewhere in that range, Mm -hmm. and a blend of pot and column still rum. So again, this one specifically... Uh, says Jamaica on it and three ounces of it. So typically I would make this with something like Appleton 12 or Appleton eight year. Uh, those, those rums always work wonderfully in this, but I didn't have them on hand and I didn't really have any Jamaican equivalent of that kind of like mid range pot and column blend rum to use from mm-hmm. Jamaica. So I decided to get a little creative and also a little veer a little away from the 100% Jamaica territory. But I decided to use two rums that I don't typically use in cocktails all that often, although they do make fantastic cocktails. Um, I decided to use a combination of Hamden 46, Worthy Park Estate Reserve, and I did three quarters of an ounce each of those. So, you know, I didn't want to commit a full one and a half of each of those into the 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 rum blend partly because you know i just didn't want to part with that much of each of those (laughs) bottles that i have but also because those are 100 percent pot still rum so i still wanted to have that balance of having some column still rum in in the blend that was going in here so this is where i steered outside of jamaica because again like i said i just didn't have something on hand that fit that okay so instead i pulled in an ounce and a half of chairman's reserve original from St. Lucia, uh, which oh, has some column still okay. rum in it. So yeah, that yeah. was kind of like, you know, the the foundation. And then you had these two punchy, flavorful, amazing uh, pot still rums from Jamaica in there as well. And spoiler alert, they it, it made a fantastic cocktail. It was one awesome. of the best versions of the drink I've ever had. And as I was drinking it, I when, when I... When I have like multiple rums in a cocktail um, or really just any kind of, you know, ingredients into a cocktail. I I think of them in like musical terms, like in how different instruments contribute to a mix or something like that. Like an orchestral, yeah, arrangement. Yeah, Yeah. and I feel like with this one, so the Worthy Park was sort of like the drum and bass uh, in the mix of this one. The Hampton was more like the lead guitar, you know, those kind of like, um, those like citrusy, fruity, sharp notes from Mm -hmm. that rum that mm-hmm. I love so much, you know, really that. like punching through while the Worthy Park is kind of like the undertone. Um, and then the Chairman's Reserve, you know, it's there. It's like the rhythm guitar just chugging <laughs> along in the background. It's like the background vocals just kind of holding everything together, filling in the gaps, rounding yeah. things out. Um, it was great. And it, it, it reminded me of just one of the things that I think is fun and makes the Smuggler's Cove book a useful tool in learning more about rum because it's not just about giving you recipes and stuff. It's it's it educates you in a lot of ways on how different rums work together, how they're different, and that sort of thing. And I felt like I got to go through that whole experience right. all in the cocktail. So I, um, I yeah. was going to mess with you a little bit and say like, so you specifically went against Martin Kate's <laughs> yeah. recipes here, but in a way, I kind of admire what you're doing because you're doing it in such like you're saying you took the education you learned from there and applied it in a way you felt makes sense. I put my own spin on it, you know? But not just Uh, like, oh, whatever, you know? So I, I think that that is a cool idea and and way to think about it. Did the the Allspice Dram uh, still contribute? 
Oh, well for there. sure. Yeah. Um, that that's so not every planner's punch recipe you'll find you know call for allspice dram, but yeah. um, you know it's it's a Jamaican ingredient. I mean, not all allspice drams come from Jamaica, but okay. allspice is uh, is is grown in Jamaica. Right. So it's and, and I I just and it's just a quarter ounce. So you know you've got you've got an ounce of lime juice. You've got three ounces of rum in there. So you know you get just that touch of spice in there. Of, it's okay. great. It's great. So, so that's like the, the little background singer, maybe like in the background of your band, you know, something like that. Yeah, maybe that's... maybe something like that, or maybe like a nice, um, maybe like some a nice like horn section in the okay. background, All you right. know, something like that. Would that would be good. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, I see it. So anyway, that that was my, you know, I revisited that cocktail with a blend of rums that I've never had before, and just a good reminder to you know play with your rum combinations uh, when you're when you're making a drink. It's it's really fun, and I think it's in the spirit, uh, no pun intended, of okay. uh, what what was intended with the book, which we get into in the interview. But before we get to that, I know you have a rum that you recently revisited that you wanted to share your yes. thoughts and impressions of. So I don't know what this is, but I'm excited to learn more. Yeah, I was I was actually inspired by uh, somebody that mentioned it recently that we spoke to, but uh, I'll, I'll, I'll hold off there so I don't okay. spoil the surprise for you. But uh, so a lot of the times you mentioned you kind of set up the rerum segment and the spirit of it already. A, a lot of times the rerums that I've done have been about rums that I've revisited and had like a new opinion or an epiphany on or yeah. noted something different about. Not this time. Okay. So this time, so this uh, reaffirmed your your existing beliefs. Yes, exactly. And I'm I'm happy to talk about this rum because I initially sort of immediately fell in love with it upon purchasing it. Okay. Uh, and then I kind of forgot about it for a while, not because of you know a lack of love for it. It just we have a lot of different rums that we. You're buying experience. lots of you're buying lots of rum and tasting a lot of different things. It's easy exactly. to get sidetracked. Right. Right. There's so, a lot of good rum out there. Yeah. And Enough so, to to start a podcast about to talk about it. So. <laughs> Exactly. And so what happened was when I heard this mentioned recently talking to somebody, I, I dug it out of the cabinet again and tried it and fell in love with it all over again. Uh, so that was nice. It was It's kind of like, like watching an old movie that you loved enough like to yeah. buy on DVD, but yeah. then you haven't seen it in forever. And then someone mentioned it. You're like, oh, yeah, I need to an old album that again. you're right. pulling out that you haven't listened to in a long time. Exactly. Yeah. An old friend. Yeah. So it's an agricole rum. Aged okay. agricole, specifically, right. actually. So, and I think I've mentioned before in this program that I've had a hard time with aged agricoles earlier uh, okay. in my rum journey. I think uh, I tried a couple of different ones and was kind of like, eh, don't really know that, that this is for me. That's interesting uh, because my impression usually with people I know who are into rum but are sort of getting into agricole for the first time is it's the unaged that often they kind of struggle with a little bit because the aged ones, you know, there's still some of the familiarity with the, the right. notes that are pulled in from the casks and stuff like that. So that's interesting that it, it's the opposite for you. It sounds yeah. like. Well, the first ones I tried to the first two were aged agricoles and both okay. of those, uh, I didn't really, they didn't work for me. Right. And then I found an Right. And an unaged agricole then did. And then I got to this aged agricole and okay. decided to jump on that and actually really appreciated it. And uh, in fact, this is a uh, an AOC Martinique rum with an H. But I, I just think this bottle took me by storm. It smacked me around a little bit and made me a believer in, in great agricole rums and that those are like a thing that actually exists in the world. So I'm mm -hmm. happy about that. All right. So I'm going to give it away here for you. You ready? All right. 
It's Hit a me one, with it. It's a one liter bottle. Oh, okay. So do you with know what this, it is? Is it Nissan? It is, yes. Is it the Elevé Soubois? No, uh, it's none other than Nissan. You're right, but it is the reserve. This is the reserve. Okay. Uh, I the, just like to say Elevé Soubois. <laughs> That is nice, uh, and I like the French <laughs> words as well. Reserve special, something. Especial? I usually can't say French words, but I feel like I've got Elevé Soubois down. Yeah. So well, um, I, yeah, in in America we just call it the Reserve Special. Yeah, right. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so that one is aged a little bit longer than the Elevé Soubois, right. if I recall cor- correctly. Uh, up to ten years, I think, and it is column still uh, cane juice, obviously rum because it's an agricole. And it, here was the interesting part when I looked up a little bit more about this this time was the process for aging here it starts in new french oak barrels for about okay. six months mm-hmm, mm-hmm. then it gets moved into ex-bourbon and ex-whiskey barrels for like three to six years or maybe a little bit more before mm-hmm. it then moves back into ex-cognac barrels with newly charred heads on them right yeah i, I knew that there were like uh, a, a mix of casks type cask types and stuff yeah. like that that went into it but i couldn't remember specifically what they what they are so yeah that's 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 an interesting combo it is and and i really do feel like it gives it a nice complexity i really mm-hmm. like the color on it by the way it's like a like a dark amber or like a burnt sienna i don't know if you had crayon boxes when you oh, were yeah a kid. i remember burnt sienna come on yeah you know that purple mountain majesty uh <laughs> come on i i, I was a crayola kid excellent um, so I know we've had our disagreements over bottle and label design yes. over over you know the the history of this podcast. We've, mm-hmm. we've we've had some battles on that front. Can we agree that the Nissan bottles are fantastic and the labels? We can almost Do, agree. Oh come on! <laughs> what do you have against them? They're so they're great. All right, they're I unique. Have, I, I, they're, the labels are cool. What what is the problem here? Okay, well so. I do think the bottles are very distinct in their shape and design, and I like that. And I do like the label and the way it looks for the most part. It's a little stark, but I I can roll with it. But here's the thing. Um, (laughs) It still has a screw cap on it. Oh, my God. The screw cap. Get get off your cap high horse, man. Get away from the corks. There's nothing nothing inherently classy about a cork over a screw cap, okay? Oh, no. I miss the the utility. The utility. uh, You need the the sound effects. Yep. Yep. Come on. I, I mean, I'll say here. this. Look, it's nicer this one because it's got like the stamp of the actual logo on the top uh-huh. of it. So rather than just being like plain, it's it's a little nicer. And so, you know, I'll give it a little bit of props, but it, it just it it doesn't sit with the the rest of the bottle is beautiful and, and looks so nice. And then you've got this thin you can squeeze it with two fingers and it'll bend the screw cap. So like I you don't know, know. I, I thought I thought this was going to be I, I thought this was going to be a moment for us to come together and <laughs> really celebrate this you know you started out you know really celebrating what a wonderful product this is and I was like you know what I don't know how anyone could think this bottle isn't cool if they have taste and I thought you were a man of taste but I I just you know unfortunately this is where we're at. No, I I think you know yeah this is this is us. Yeah, well <laughs> this, this is, is us. This is us. Um, but it, like I, 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 if let's put it this way, if that's the worst thing about this bottle, this is a friggin' amazing bottle. And I mean that in the general sense, not just the bottle design, but like the rum and everything. If that's the criticism, we're in a good place. Sure. Okay. So let's, let's keep that there. I did have one other slight criticism of it, which is for this product, it's 42% ABV. Mm-hmm. So it's nice. It's, you know, it's bumped up a tiny bit from the standard 40, but it still feels a teensy bit light. And I would just really like to see how that would sip at, you know, 44, 45, 46. Uh, yeah. Just a Get little bit more. Get it up to more. a nice round 90, 90 yeah. proof. Yeah. yeah. 
So yeah, we'll, we'll you know we'll we'll just agree to disagree on screw caps and agree to the rest of it that we we really enjoy. I can uh, agree with you on so, the proof. Yeah, maybe, maybe maybe we can meet up in Martinique someday and and you know try a try a ride out of the barrel or something like that. Together. I think so. I, I I this rum made me a believer in agricoles. Which by the way, in French, do you know what the word is for believer? No, I don't. It's crayon. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> Je suis crayon. Yeah. Are you serious? Yeah. I, I think it's spelled the same it's way. It's spelled differently. C R O Y A N T. And and I'm not a scholar in French. Okay. But it, it definitely sounds like crayon. So just to bring it full circle there. Uh, yeah. There you go. It's it's crayon. Somehow I don't think the French pronunciation sounds the same as crayon. Um, it's, it's yeah, just but it's sweet close crayon. enough that I like you that you worked it in there and brought us full circle. Um, that know. was that was nicely done. I'm a lover so, of words, Will. Yeah. On that note, um, yes, we have an interview with Martin Kate. I set it up a little earlier, but we talk. Uh, you know, we we get up to speed a little on where things are with Smuggler's Cove, which the interview was fortuitously timed in that the grand reopening is coming up June 15th. Uh, We're recording this intro on June 9th, so I think the episode will be out before the reopening. Uh, So, yeah, that's really cool. We, you know, we get into, uh, you know, Martin's own journey into rum, uh, how that's evolved over the years. You know, we talk about the rum categorization system and smugglers and a whole bunch of other stuff. So uh, this is a very, you know, rum focused interview. Um, I I think that's one of the unique things about Smuggler's Cove is rum is really front and center for them and in the way they do things and rum education is a big part of it so mm-hmm. talk a lot about that stuff and uh, it was a fun interview and uh yeah i think that you will enjoy it so stay tuned if you're listening to our show right now there are six words about rum that are likely to catch your eye single barrel cask strength and no additives Those six words are the whole premise of the single-cast rum releases from Holmes Key, the sponsor for this episode of the Rumcast. Holmes Key seeks out the world's best rums and releases them unadulterated and at cask strength in limited editions. Check out their website at holmeskey.com to learn more about their new 2021 releases, distilled at places like Foursquare in Barbados, Demerara Distillers in Guyana, Travelers Liquors in Belize, and Clarendon Distillery in Jamaica. Also, you'll definitely want to stay tuned for more exciting 2021 releases coming up soon. You can find out more at Holmes Key, that's H-O-L-M-E-S-C-A-Y dot com. Now back to the show. All right, we are here with Martin Kate, the owner of Smuggler's Cove in San Francisco, uh, author of a book by the same name that we've mentioned plenty of times and recommended heartily on this podcast uh, over the past year plus. And uh, I know that a lot of our listeners are familiar with it, Martin. We hear from them all the time about it. Uh, A lot to get to in the interview about rum specifically, but I was actually, I was just, you know, kind of looking back through old articles, looking at the Smuggler's Cove website, getting ready for the interview. And I I noticed that across the top, there's a big banner right now saying uh, reopening June 15th, uh, which is really exciting. And I feel like something we should probably acknowledge uh, and talk about real quickly. You know, I know obviously it's been uh, a, a crazy difficult, hard past few months. So, you know, I don't want to force you to relive all the dire circumstances of all that. But what's it kind of been like, you know, being so close to to reopening now? And and what have you been doing over the past few, you know, weeks, days, kind of getting prepped to to be somewhat back in the swing of things? 
Well, gosh, yeah, it's been um, it's been very emotional. It's been a really um, uh, a uh, you know, it's been a hard. Um, well, today is four hundred day four hundred and forty three. Not do that you, I'm. Do you really have like? Do you have like uh, like tally marks somewhere? No, yeah. I looked. I looked it up recently, but it is kind of jaw dropping to think that about. That is wow. I think we knew. I mean, if I had been told on March seventeenth of last year that we'd be down for four hundred plus days, I, I wouldn't. I would have just thrown in the towel. I would. I would not have even imagined the survival. But the survival, and we'll talk about these people as we go on here today. I'm sure, but the survival has been very much. Uh, uh, huge part of the uh, with a tremendous amount of uh, thanks to the people to our regulars who um uh who've been kind enough to both stay uh, with us in terms of to-go cocktails mm, yeah. uh, drinking rum buying bottles donating to our staff's fund i mean i'm very proud of the fact that we were able to keep our entire staff and keep them on 100 fully paid health care during the entire lockdown um oh, wow. so that that's so that's that i, I mean the um the uh, the last few weeks have been kind of a flurry of repair work and deferred maintenance and things like that. Lots sure. of, um, and I still don't have a working pond, but I, I, I will someday. Um, but the uh, yeah, so it's just been a lot of that. We're having a couple of private soft openings for some of our club members right now and uh, just trying to get everyone's uh, joints loosened again and uh, everyone kind of back into the swing of things. So, yeah, it's been, um, it's been hard. It's been uh, really emotional. Um, and uh, it's been, I mean, I've fortunately again had the good support of those folks and the support of other bar owners in San Francisco in particular and in the community. But of course I'm not alone at smugglers either. I've got yeah. my interest in other bars around the country and we've all gone through various slices of hell in different forms. Yeah. Um, they're all unique experiences. So, um, but yeah, it's, um, I, I, I cannot wait. I'm so pleased. And, uh, just having a handful of people in the other night was, uh, really, uh, very moving. Awesome. Yeah. That's a, obviously a huge deal for smugglers and many other, as you mentioned, bars that are reopening now across the country. We're really happy that things are getting back to some semblance of normalcy and things are going the right direction, uh, in the country overall with, with COVID, um, to take us out a little bit of that. And I, I think probably smugglers cove needs no introduction for anyone on this, listening to this podcast, cause it's been such a success for well over a decade now, I think. And you mentioned you're also part owner in other incredibly successful bars around the United States. So I I wanted to kind of start by asking, what are some of the things in your mind that contribute to the success of a Martin Kate owned bar or partly owned bar? Are there like any non-negotiables for you in terms of how they operate or tenants that you keep or anything like that? That's that's a good question. You know, we've never we never wanted to I never wanted to duplicate or franchise smugglers. I wanted every experience to be unique. I wanted every space to have its own aesthetic design backstory atmosphere some places are very um are sort of crowded and busy some places are a little more sedate and neighborhood one of the unifying elements is an immersive experience uh we always focus on having a space that takes you out of your current environment your current neighborhood into a space that is filled with uh, art and design and i'd say that's very much uh something that I, i i celebrate because i like I really like creating spaces that are unique and are experiential for guests because, you know, here we are in year, who knows exactly, 20 plus of, of, of sort of the cocktail renaissance. Mm-hmm. And there's been so much coverage and there's so much good information to be found in various books uh, about spirits, about cocktails and things like that, that there's every reason um, 
and certainly over the last year, there was the only reason, but <laughs> there was every reason to, to, to make a drink at home. And to yeah. um, so we're our mission is, you know, what can we offer you that's different? What kind of fa- shared space, fun experience, and just you know, something different that isn't the four white walls of your house and uh, into yeah. into something else. And, and most, but more, most importantly of all is, is community. I mean, all of our, all of my projects have some kind of club or organization uh, for, for drinkers, for frequent drinker clubs, rum clubs, of course. And that has been one of the most important and meaningful things that we've done because as one of my club members said to me once she came up and she said, uh, you know, it's very rare that adults in the modern 21st century America can find play, can find community. Um, you know, this is so a, true. Yeah, there's a, there's a terrific um, there's a terrific book that came out several years ago called Bowling Alone about sort of the decline of community participation in America, and it's it goes back it goes back to that idea of the third place that there has to be a space between that's not home and does not work and does not bear the responsibilities of either. That it's a space that is where you can be, uh, where you can form friendships, make bonds. And so for us, these bars are a real big part of that. And we accent that with by having these clubs and organizations that help people to bond. I, the, the most meaningful thing to me is when I see texts or Facebook posts, for example, of several of my club members just out to dinner together, six of them at a restaurant table or something like that. And I just yeah. think those six people met they bonded through rum, they bonded through a shared experience, and now they're just friends. And now they're just going out. It's not connected to the club anymore. Mm-hmm. It's formed something new. That's, that is, to me, I, I feel like the most valuable thing we do is create that environment. I, I love that you mentioned that because one of the things that both John and I have both noticed in our own lives uh, over the past year, especially, I, I know, John, you you and Martin connected because Martin came and, and gave a, a presentation for the Florida Rum Society, which we've talked about a lot on the podcast. Um, and we've been trying to make more of an effort to help people connect to these local rum societies wherever right. they are in the world. We put up a page on the website trying to like list them so people can find them easily because we hear from people who listen all the time saying like, I wish there was something like that in my community. Um, and we've actually seen people like making a more active effort to start these. And I think I think the pandemic had some of an effect on that of people wanting to connect online over shared interests and things like that. But um, I'm in Nashville and I've seen it here with a couple of people in the in the city started up an organization called Friends of Rum Tennessee, and it started during the pandemic. And it was just, you know, a few of us on Zoom calls. And now, you know, we've been able to meet up at a local bar and and make those connections. You know, we're all people who lived in the area and never knew each other. And we all liked rum and like that kind of brought us together. So yeah, I think that's that's a really cool and and special thing to, to remind us that like, it's great when these shared interests bring us together, but it's even cooler when you find out that like people from all different walks of life coming together and forming real relationships that grow beyond the shared interest is always really cool. Um, I, I want to get a little bit into, I, I've talked before on the podcast about how the the book Smug- Smuggler's Cove was a really big part of my own journey into rum and getting me to delve deeper into rum itself. Uh, you know, I, I got the book to learn how to make interesting cocktails and it really opened my eyes to the interesting world of rum. And you, you kind of talk about that in the book of this sort of symbiotic relationship 
that rum and tiki have. Um, and then there's kind of a quote that in there about the guiding principle of the Bar Smugglers Cove, which you wrote is to use the aesthetic of Polynesian pop and the grandeur of the exotic cocktail to provide a framework for the further discovery of rum. Um, so I think it's interesting and, and uncommon how rum is like the end point. It's, it's what everything is about the experience is kind of, or I don't want to say everything about the experience is pointing to rum, but that's a very conscious effort, the discovery of rum. And I'm interested to hear from your perspective, like how does Smuggler's Cove, the bar, do that in a way that, that other bars, you know, might not, or how does it approach it differently? Well, a few things. So the history of, well, I'll just talk about smokers first, but we can talk about kind of where this came from. I guess I yeah. should add that. I mean, from the 40s through the 60s, the Tiki Bar in America obviously was extremely popular, but was also really the, you know, starting with Dawn in, in 33, it was the, the first bars in America that were proponents of the spirit that really went out of their way to say, hey, this is a spirit that was largely forgotten about as America in the 19th century became much more of a whiskey drinking country mm -hmm. and moved away from rum. Rum was considered more, quote unquote, coarse and things like that. It had a bad reputation or just had a reputation as being British, which wasn't very cool after 1776 or so. And so it... I uh, can't remember so it, why. Uh -oh. Yeah, I can't remember why <laughs> So there was so there was a sense that um, Don was was a real proponent of the spirit, having of course had his travels throughout the Caribbean. But it was an effort to it was an effort to try to elevate and point it out at a time when both it met aesthetically with the notion of designing a tropical space, but it also and also had the advantage of being affordable immediately after prohibition, um, and all kinds of magnificent rums, long aged things that had been denied their largest market were just getting older and more lovely as they sat in uh, Jamaica and Barbados and places. Mm -hmm. And they finally came into the States and at, at good pricing. And so this was a great opportunity to not just work with these wonderful spirits, but just to pour them. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, Don from day one had a rum menu that offered neat pours, extolled their praises. He had country to country guides about rum and then was followed by was followed by Vic doing the same thing and Steve and a lot of the other proprietors. So even places that were, you know, game of telephone, third level knockoff bars in the middle of nowhere, would love to have lots of flowery prose about the wonders of rum and the joys of rum. And when you look back, the selection wasn't quite as good as we imagined. Some of it was, some of it was from Don's own sellers and personal shopping and things like that. But distributor catalogs and things indicate a good and interesting selection, but not as vast as what we have today. Mm. So, I mean, we we look back on 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 those on those era, a lot of great rums that were lost to us by the '70s and '80s. But most of them are back and 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 tenfold at this point, which is a great. So it's a really great time now to be a rum lover. I reflect on those places because they were the places that were doing the heavy lifting of trying to reintroduce this category to to the American drinker, uh, to to the spirit category, because it had fallen away. And I'm saddened to reflect on the idea that, and it's. Vic spoke about this in the in when he wrote his last uh, his last book. He really said that he sort of had a lot of regret. He said, "I really feel like I've spent over forty years trying to make this spirit take off, um, really trying to get people to enjoy it, particularly as a um, as an after dinner spirit to enjoy by itself, to find mm -hmm. a, a sophisticated, nice, 
long age spirit. And he felt in some ways, I don't not, I don't want to say quite that he'd failed, but he was definitely disappointed that it never took off the way he thought it would. He right. said he still served lots and lots of cognac and scotch to guests after dinner. And despite his vast selection and, and great offerings, he felt that he really couldn't shake people of these sort of traditional spirits that they were used to, or it had a, that had a built-in reputation for whatever mm-hmm. worth of, of being a more sophisticated spirit. So I, I approached it in some ways from that angle. Again, I thought, let's create a space that's fun and engaging and seems, uh, and and I, I don't know, I don't want to say it uh, lures you into a sense of uh, <laughs> comfort to get into rum, but but we never, we started from, from day one saying, we're going to have a, uh, I knew from, from launch in 2009 that I was going to have a rum club because I had already in my first bar back in 2006, I had started a rum club. It had a lot of uptake, a lot of popularity, and I wanted to do it again, only this time I wanted to make it bigger, more educational with more mm-hmm. information, has a self-guided tour component and things to more it. Programmatic. Uh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it has, a, it's sort of a, you get a punch card, you get 20 different chapters to study your homework for each chapter is rum, which is a good problem to have. There's levels to go through. Yeah. Yeah. And so we, and you kind of just read, okay, here's a description about, um, you know, the differences between pot and coffee column stills or something to that effect. Mm -hmm. So people go through this education, this sort of self-guided education, and they come in, they've, they've, they come in after these 20 chapters of lessons now, Ready to ready to uh, go wider and explore more with a bit of more framework, a bit more understanding of what they're drinking and what this has done. My initial thought was, in, in truth, my, my I had also worked retail at a big liquor store and had you know known that nobody on the staff and none of the guests knew anything about rum. Mm-hmm. Rum was still this is back in two thousand four ish, I guess. There was still only a handful of premium brands. There was still a sense that. Um, if it was more than $11.95, that it was crazy. Who would ever buy that? There was sure. a sense yeah. that the largest rum company um, in America had sort of, in some ways, def- you know, artificially deflated prices or kept value down mm-hmm. on, you know, on the real value of this spirit. And I remember lots of brands coming in with, you know, hey, this is a new super luxury brand. It's $100 a bottle and just falling, you know, just never surviving far too soon. Not today's world or $100 rum, no problem. Right. Uh, and that's great. I mean, that is great news. Because and so people- many more in between those levels. Absolutely. As well. mm-hmm. Yeah. So I thought if I can make... If I can make through this rum club, if I can make a bunch of informed consumers, if I can make just a bunch of people who will who will walk confidently into the liquor store, knowing their own personal tastes and preferences from having gone on this journey with us, that they'll walk in and say, yes, I like that stuff. I don't like that stuff. I'm going to buy a bottle of that and feel mm-hmm. great about the drinks I'm making tonight or whatever, or the gift I'm giving to a friend. And I can talk about it and I can say, actually, this is 100% tropically aged. It's pot and column blend, da, 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 you know. So I wanted to I wanted to create that community, and I, I feel like I have, um, and it's been great. So we wanted to create a fun space, but then you know it's it's a lot of for a lot of our regulars now um, they come in and they're just there for the rum. Um, some of them you know might take a little breather with a daiquiri in between. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> nothing wrong with that. No, nothing at all, especially after you know. Straight rum number, you know, I've had six DOKs in a row. And I, <laughs> I, 
I, my head feels sort of weird. I think I could use a, I could use a, I could use a, a beverage. <laughs> you know, talking about that, going from interested in drinks, progressing into being interested in rum. What what was the moment for you? Because I, I, my recollections from things I've, I've read, interviews and things like that, it it seemed like you know you were initially drawn to tiki for the atmosphere, the the you know the the culture, the vibe. It was more about the drinks. Like when did when did the real awareness of rum come into the picture? And I know you've you've also spoken about when you got into it. Like great drinks were not the standard at most of the bars you were going to back then. There were exceptions to that, but rum wasn't perhaps as much uh, on a pedestal at some of those places as it is at places like Smugglers now. Do you remember kind of like when it clicked for you? It was like, wait, like th- there's something about this spirit too that is that is like, captivating for me. Absolutely. Yeah, so it was really, it's kind of a two-pronged attack, right? Because the first one was as I start to become, as I start to get, meet other people with this like-minded interest in this vast multidisciplinary art form, we were making drinks, but you couldn't find them anywhere. If you found them somewhere, they were they were terrible. They were made with sour mix. They were bottom shelf rums you'd never even heard of. There's a lot of these rums that only exist for, for low cost distributions to dive right. bar that exist on shelves. Yeah. And so it was that kind of stuff. I remember vividly going into one bar and uh, walking up to order a drink for a friend and saying, can I have a Mai Tai and a zombie, please? It was on their menu. I wasn't, you know, making it up. They had, you know, I mean, I never walk into a dive bar and demand a zombie. It's just still, <laughs> I, I uh, but I, I, but they were trying to do a tropical drink menu. And I said, can I get a Mai Tai and a zombie? So, oh, you know, it doesn't matter. It's the same drink. And, oh, <laughs> you know, wow. I kind of, like, your heart, like, kind of stings and you think, oh, God, what are we going to do? You know? And so, so I was playing around starting in the late 90s at home making drinks. And then it was really this notion of having to buy all these rums to make these drinks. You know, yeah. thanks, to, thanks, to, thanks to Don and his fancy rum mixing. Um, <laughs> so we had to, uh, you know, I'd be out buying. I'd be out buying Jamaicans and, and interesting. There were a lot of weird things on the shelves back then that you can't really see anymore, but you know, some unusual rums from like molasses rums out of Martinique, strange expressions and things like that. Mm. I'd be getting agricoles or molasses rums from, from Martinique and Jamaican Barbados, blah, blah, blah. So point being, I'd make the drink. I'd love the drink. I'd say, this is terrific. Gosh, you really can enjoy the fresh juice and the blend of rums. It's really, but why in the world did I just have to spend all this money? you know, come back from the liquor store, you know, with a little pretty light in the wallet and a little woozy in the head. Like, oh my God, what am I, you know, I had <laughs> We've all had that experience. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, it's a little, <laughs> yeah, a little terrifying. And so then I just, I mean, it's as simple as this. I just taste them by themselves. Yeah. And, I just, and then say, wait a minute, these three, I wouldn't even peg these three spirits as being in the same category. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How can it be this different and still say one three-letter word on the front of the label? It doesn't make sense and i just that's what opened your eyes to understanding the the journey rum took across the caribbean and across the world the evolution and distillation techniques the fermentation techniques all of the stuff that opens up that everybody knows about now but it was just kind of a you know this is a really eye-opening moment and this is where i started visiting distilleries and started trying to understand more and and it's really i just couldn't i just couldn't I just never, uh, and to this day, never stop being amazed at the diversity of the category. It just keeps going on and on and surprising me. And, and at this point in the United States, I mean, you know, we are obviously all 
a little jealous of the fun variety of independent bottlers that exist all over Europe. It's getting better over here, fortunately, but still overall, the, the amount of things between either long established existing producers, either mm-hmm. first time bottling under their own distillery names or, or just producers who never came to the United States, mm-hmm. that plus all the American craft rums, hundreds and hundreds of those. I mean, what a what a time to be a rummy! It, it is a it is a great time and uh, and exciting. And so there's uh so this is what this is what keeps my club members excited, me excited. Um, and so we keep drawing in new people who, you know, rum at the end of the day in most cases, you know, previously mentioned DOK notwithstanding. I mean, rum <laughs> rum in most cases is is a terrifically approachable spirit. It is it's very um it's very uh it's very friendly. It's very, it's very quaffable. It's got a wonderful kinds of familiar notes and characteristics that people enjoy. It doesn't, it's not, I'm not trying to start a club based entirely on Isla malts. Mm, you know, I'm sure. trying to basically trying to say this is a, this is a, there's one out here for you. I promise you, you're going to find something you love yeah. and you're going to find, you're going to find something that, you know, and I, if I bring someone in from a different category, I only drink tequila. Oh, okay, great. I'm gonna, I bet you're going to love some of the vegetal notes of this agriculture. Try this. Oh, I only drink bourbon. Well, I'm going to put you in some some lighter bodied Barbados. You know, it's got it's nice. You know, got a yep. beautiful charred cast, et cetera, et cetera. Stuff your listeners know. But this, and I've watched as our you know 400 members of our club 400 plus members at smugglers coves club have started you know they i I know who my agriculture junkies are yeah i know (laughs) who my high ester pot folks are i know who my not as many but my 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 sweeties my my guys who love and and gals who love sweeter rums and things they sound like sound like rival gangs (laughs) yes that's what i was getting at yeah (laughs) yeah yeah no no, it's like yeah it's like reading a rum forum no no But um, so, no, I mean, it's and it's and it's fun because not only do I get to discover how their tastes grow and I do watch them not just go to certain favorites, but also evolve. Yeah. Things that they came in maybe loving. And then, I mean, there are rums where there are rums where I'll talk to a guest who I'll, they'll say to me, you know, I, I when I came in here for the first time six years ago, my favorite rum was X and I have not touched that stuff in six years. Mm -hmm. I haven't had another drop of it. And I just amazed and I, maybe I'll go back and try it one more time. And then I do and go like, well, I used to like this. This is weird. This isn't. And so it's kind of fun watching the evolution. And it also gives me a wonderful, um, focus group basically i've got a terrific focus group of my own where i get such great feedback from them hey mm-hmm. folks i'm introducing mm-hmm. this new one this week try it out and a bunch of people say why'd you bring that in or a bunch <laughs> of people say oh this is great why are we in for so it, it informs it informs my decisions about uh what to carry as well so yeah uh, and i and I, I think it's it's great so that my curation evolves as well in the same uh in the, you know from their feedback too well martin i think first of all uh quaffable is my new favorite word so thank you for that <laughs> um 
and uh, you talked a lot about education in all of that. And so I, I have to imagine that then Smuggler's Cove, the book, probably was the next evolution of thinking about spreading that rum education to people along with the, the tiki education as well. And I, funny enough, when I looked it up, uh, at least according to Amazon, the book debuted five years ago, almost to the day. Which That's or, right. Yeah. yeah, June. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So uh, happy you know, early I, birthday, Smuggler's yeah. Cove, the book. <laughs> yeah, everybody tipple. Well, unless you're driving, no drinking if you're driving, but I'm listening to. Um, but uh, I think it's safe to say, obviously, now that that has been well received amongst both tiki and rum communities. When in that timeline, as you were kind of talking us through, when did you decide, okay, I've got to write this book? And it was, was it exactly for those reasons or were there other reasons as well? The book came about um, mostly at the uh, aggressive harassment of my agent, uh, who now my agent, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's a... Uh, um, my, my, uh, my agent, uh, just kind of cold called one day at the bar and he said, um, I think there's a real space, um, on in cocktail books. He's represented a lot of, uh, other cocktail book authors in different categories. He said, I really think there's a space for this. And I said, I, I, you know, I don't know, I'm pretty busy. I don't really know if I have time for this. It seems like a hell of a undertaking. And he kind of pushed me on it and it was really just sitting down and giving it some more thought that. I had seen a handful of sort of smaller books written, you know, either, you know, these kind of ones that are just cheapy knockoffs that are not necessarily, you know, they're, they're sort of you know, like sort of a contractual fulfillment book or something. I don't know. Right, what they right. are. They're these yeah. things that show up and they end up on remainder shelves, but they were sort of, you know, you know, tiki fun time, happy drink book or something, you know, or, or, you know, and you use all kinds of use this, this book uses both kinds of rum, gold and dark, like, <laughs> light and dark. You know, so there was a, there was a couple of books like that where I'd see them coming out and I'd say, God, this just, this is so bad. I feel like there's a sense that we've made so much progress, but maybe there's a long way to go still. Cause mm. I mean, obviously there were already great books out there, particularly by Jeff and things like that. Mm -hmm. There were, there were, there were, you know, there were other great, it wasn't that this was the first or anything, but there was just a lot of crap coming out too. And so it was a sense that, you know what, I think we actually, I, I do think we have something to bring to the table. And I think it, it was a combination of bringing uh, something that was more in depth about rum, more in depth about the history of these bars, more in depth about, you know, being able to write from an operational standpoint, having done it at that point for over mm -hmm. five years, that we had something to get back, talk about our clubs, talk about this. And so we 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 decided to push forward. I had the good, good fortune of my better half Rebecca being um, unceremoniously laid off before Christmas of that year. And I said, Hey, you want to write a book? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I've uh, since um, ruined her life. And uh, so, <laughs> but we've, uh, but we, we, we were able to uh, work on it together, and it was much needed. And her background, uh, her research background, was immeasurably important in getting it uh, together. So it has sort of my color and my 50 cent words and and things <laughs> like that. but it has her it has her uh, solid skeletal structure under it so that's the uh that's the uh, kind of it was a good partnership needless to say but it was also a tremendous amount of work we flew all over the united states we photographed places are all over the u.s events bars um, that sounds we, terrible. Oh man! I know, right? Well, it's, it's, it's fun out of the event when you're just shooting. Yeah, great. I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> but um, 
but we did have, and we were very, we're very proud of it. And we wanted to do something that was tried to offer a bigger thing. You know, we definitely pushed our, uh, we definitely pushed our publisher to say, I don't want to do a coffee table book with just pretty pictures. I don't right. want to have, right, right. I don't want to just be recipes. I want to give it some context. I want to give it some depth to try to get people to appreciate not the spirit, the atmosphere, all the, the things that come together to create a great space, but also, you know, so, and, and to really celebrate the spirit. Yeah. So with that in mind, you know, we, we did the, um, we did the categorization system for the book, which was again, contrary to what you may have read online was never attempt an, an attempt to define it for the world. It was an attempt to define it for the home user of our book. Um, it is, you know, in essence, just a, a slightly more Baroque version of the Gargano classification. Sure. Um, and it's the idea being that you would use it to help determine how you built your home bar and how you could label your bottles at home for quick reference, for ease of access and things like that. And to get you to think about things like when we define this as, when we define a certain category as a, as a, um, as molasses based blended lightly aged rum mm -hmm. that that category in and of itself has a tremendous amount of variety in it. And so I want Absolutely. you to, yeah. wanted people to take that category and then go and shop all the variability within that category, find their favorite within that category, favorites, plural, and then use that as part of their sort of home arsenal. So it was not an attempt to say that every, you know, it's saying this is, you know, roundly to say that these rums are made of pot and column still, they are lightly aged, et cetera, that, that is, that is, that is correct. Is, could we dial down more on that? Sure. I mean, this category could, it could have gotten broken out a lot more, but we wanted it to be the place where you started as the home user to find your path and your favorites and things like that. Cause I love the idea that everybody has a home bar now with this is my favorite number four. This is my right, favorite right, right. Two, things like that, which means that that unique puzzle they've put together when they make this drink, if they make a three dots and a dash, it tastes unique to their home bar their yeah. their So that's that sense that you've got a, you've, you've built a, you put the puzzle together in a way that makes it taste special at your house. It doesn't taste this way at the person next door's house who's doing the same thing. As though I'm imagining everybody has these home bars every next door to each other, but <laughs> but it does, but it does have this. Um, I, I think it's it gives you a it gives you a true taste, um, right? That's based on on your preferences, and that's you know people write me all the time. Well, what would you pick? I'd say I would pick the one that you think tastes good because it's the one that you're drinking and you're pouring for your friends. It's okay to, you know, it's it's if if you think that if you think that the the the, the best my tie in the world is a hundred percent DOK rum because that's what you want. I know, like, I want to keep going back to it. I don't know. It's just so extreme, but top but of it, mind right now. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but it's just, but you know, if that's what you think, then by God, you're drinking it, drink it. I mean, this is kind of the, you know, it's, it's okay. You know, you can have this, I mean, I'm telling you what I think it is good. I'm telling you where I think it comes from historically, but I'm, you know, I'm also saying it's okay to do what you want. Right. <laughs> well, your body. <laughs> and I, I think the interesting thing with categorizations is I, I've never seen a categorization system for rum that doesn't have some degree of trade-offs or like further room for interpretation. Like even if you tell someone when you make this cocktail, use uh, an aged Jamaican rum, like if they're, the cocktail is going to be dramatically different if they use 
Appleton eight in one version and Smith and Cross in another, you know, it's going to be a completely different drink. So I did, I, I'm glad you brought up the categorization system. Do you, do you remember much about the process of developing that? Because the, to, to me, you know, you, you talk about all the, like how much work it sounded to write the book and even just doing a categorization system <laughs> like that seems so daunting yeah. to me. Like how, how much a percentage of the time of the book was spent just on figuring out that stuff? Well, I think the idea was we, you know, it was based a lot in conversations with, um, with Luca, with people and Richard and, mm-hmm. and people like that. We talked quite a bit and we talked about how, um, you know, it was at that time, at that time, it was a big push on, on, on both of their parts to really say that production was the most critical factor and how it was distillation methodology and yeast Mm-hmm. and fermentation, yeast choices, fermentation choices, because in part, at least in the world of molasses-based rums, because in part that since molasses was for so many islands a commodity mm-hmm. that was blended, brokered, traded from other places, etc., that the real craft for molasses-based rums was in the, the skill of the distiller, the skill of the blender, that that was really you know, making those decisions about what kind of equipment we're using, how we're using the equipment, how we're fermenting, how long we're fermenting, all of these variables, which to me are not as, are more rather more important than the, than the raw material. Mm -hmm. And so that was, um, so we wanted to echo that, but what we found with the, that methodology was that it didn't take into account, well, it was several things didn't take into account, but the only one that we thought was kind of important was the age issue because they count, they didn't really account for age. And I really thought the reason I want to take into account age is that it is in deference to the manufacturer because the manufacturer is, is, is putting out a product that they want you to use in a drink. And they're also putting out a product that they want you to use in by itself that you want mm-hmm. to right, enjoy by itself. So, I mean, just to think of an example off the top of my head, I mean, you would sort of, you would categorize Eldorado 5 and Eldorado 21 as the same classification. Right. That's not necessarily useful when you're using some for drinks and some to enjoy. Of course, you can put 21 in a drink if you're feeling flush, Mr. Rockefeller, (laughs) but that's fine. But the, um, but, um, but we thought we'd drop, we'd, we'd make the age demarcation just because that those higher aged ones are the ones where the manufacturer themselves is saying, this is something to enjoy me. Um, mm-hmm. So that, so we added that. Now we could add a hundred other things. We could right. add like esters, et cetera, et cetera. We, we didn't um, in the end decide to make, after a lot of discussion back and forth, we didn't decide to break out coffee, traditional coffee versus multi-column, although okay. I think it's really important. Um, and we kind of hope that people will do that research on their own or discover the distinction between those two. I mean, obviously part of the reason we did that was because strictly two column coffee still production like English Harbor, for example, is sort of vanishingly rare these days, which is, right, a shame. Yeah. um, and so we wanted to, um, I would love to point out more of that, but I didn't have a lot of examples at the time. Um, so it's still, you know, you're right to say that there's 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 no classification system where you can't say, now, yeah, you know, okay, that's good. I would point that it has X, Y, or Z problem. And even every classification system I've said, I've seen subsequent to mine, I thought, okay, you know, that's 
that's got some good, that makes some very good points, but I feel like it's missing something here. Right. So yeah, you, you're right to say that there's nothing flawless. I think maybe the best way to think of it is taken as a whole, all of them in some way work together towards just better consumer information and better understanding of the spirit. I mean, yes, they'll take different paths towards it and that's fine, but the net effect is it's getting everybody who reads about it or thinks about it to think more about the spirit and think about what they're buying. And because it's been for so long, um, as many uh, critics and adherents have rightly pointed out, it just is blank information. Right. Uh, it's not available on a label. It might not be on a, a website. It's sometimes very hard to come by. Well, how was this rum made? There's nothing describing it. Um, I love that we're seeing these new, this new era of labels that are just look like, you know, labs. Textbook. Yeah. It's <laughs> just a grid. You know, the back label of Blacktop 50th anniversary is comedy gold. You're just like, I love this. You know, 0.2814% of this one. Like, ah, look at this. This is great, you know. It's uh, it's. I mean, so people. I know certainly my club members love it too. You know, they love they love looking at a habitation billet bottle and saying, "Isn't this great?" Now I know, <laughs> you know. Look how look how detailed it's a. You know, what's the what's the art on the bottle? The art is a picture of the still. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah, yes. yeah. No, I, I love seeing like almost the the challenge some brands have now in presenting information like that simply. Um, and, and actually, one of the I, I was just scrolling through. Reddit and I, I follow the Mezcal subreddit community and someone was pointing out that Mezcal Vago recently redid their labels and we we actually had someone who's on the Vago team on the podcast because he also is uh, a part of the team behind um, Paranubis. Paranubis. Yes, mm -hmm. thank you. The name was escaping me. Um, and I've always thought those Vago labels do such a, a beautiful job at presenting those production details in a simple way that's beautiful. Um, anyway, that's neither here nor oh, yeah, there. I love the, I, I love the the Paranubis website is so good. Yes, it is. Just a photographic step by step of the uh -huh. whole process, and it's very, it's a very satisfying. And I know it's like you know, I mean, I you mean it's a cane juice rum made in Oaxaca? Like, I mean, I don't. It's like it's almost coded to be bartender crack. Like they're going to be like, ah, well, this is going to be the best thing I've ever had. Automatic, you know, it's it's it, it ticks every craft bartender box, and rightly so. It's lovely stuff. And uh, and I just love. And I remember telling the club members, "Look at this website. How good is this? It's got. It's just perfect. It's a photo essay. This is exactly. It is. It's, it's 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 funny because we talk about the website during the interview. Yeah. We we interviewed uh, Francisco Terrazas, and uh, it was funny when I pulled out the website. It has that beautiful picture of of the valley uh, where where it's made, and at, at the bottom underneath it, the photo credit was Francisco Terrazas. And I was like, "Dude, you took that photo. It's so good." <laughs> but uh, uh, one one more note about the categorization system. Um, I'm sure people ask you about this all the time. But we were talking about just kind of like the constant evolution of, of varieties of new rums that are available now. Um, mm -hmm. You know, in many places around the world, but in the U.S., like you were saying, it's really a great time to be a rum lover and so much has changed even between the time the book came out and now yeah. if you were to ever you know release a new edition of smuggler's cove how much different do you think the the specific rums listed in those categories would change uh from where it was i, I guess around five years ago now wow i mean it's it would be so much longer <laughs> it would have even been longer then. I mean, there was definitely some editorial like this is this is too long. You know, we've you know, only got so many pages. Yeah, we got so many pages. I had already fought to get this thing so right. much more illustrated and longer than than the publisher had wanted. So, 
I was, you know, I had to concede some places, but yeah, no, it would definitely be longer. Some of those don't exist anymore, right. um, which is frustrating. Um, some of them, I don't know. There's probably a couple that I wouldn't list anymore, um, but most of them I would stand by. And the other frustration is that we, I get emails all the time from people in Europe and they're like, this is, I, I your book's great, but we don't have most, this is all completely. We don't have Hamilton over here. Yeah, exactly. We don't have Hamilton, something like that. And I, and I, and I say, well, you know, wow, wow, you have so many cool things. To <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. River. That's what I was thinking. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> no, poor you. Um, but um, I, I would love to do it. I'd love to find some method to. Um, I mean, I suppose I could. We we have talked in the past about trying to do a a current running list that we could post somewhere online. Yeah, and keep up to date. But that would be uh, super cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's gonna that just gets kind of bumped down the project list. <laughs> <You're> <laughs> it, it, it seems like you know uh, between you know owning what four or five bars somewhere around there, you might be kind of busy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, <laughs> so <laughs> it's uh, especially with all of them basically reopening at the same time. So it's mm. kind of it's been a busy time. But, but yeah, no. So I mean, it's, that is one of the obvious problems when you've got a, something static like a book is that it even even the lists in the back of best bar recommendations, right? You know, rum, rum bars and things. That's obviously grown, and I'd love to be able to recommend more rum bars and things like that. So it's just a, um, it's it's sort of it's a, it exists in some ways as a snapshot. I, if if uh, our publisher ever wants to do an updated revised edition, then we'll 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 do that. But um, there hasn't been any interest uh, expressed to my knowledge. Oh, they need to get, they need to get on that. Come on, I, yeah, know, exactly. I know the people I mean, want it out there. So come, <laughs> yeah, come on, let's get on that, guys. Yeah. <laughs> Marna, one of the things you had mentioned kind of in passing earlier when we were talking about the Smuggler's Cove Bar was the rum collection. And I've heard it described as insanely large and maybe even the, the biggest uh, rum collection in the world. Well, I think there's a few bigger outside of the United States, but I'm pretty ah. sure I'm pretty sure we're on top of it in the United States. I We are as we are. Well, we had the good fortune, at least, to deplete a lot during um, during COVID. Uh, we've sold through some bottles and things like that, so it was help. It was a lifeline for us. But now we're sort of at the broke but rebuilding phase um, as we cl- come back in. So we're reordering, reactivating, lots of new stuff coming on board. Yeah, um, we are on track within the next couple of weeks to to break one thousand. Yeah. Um, in stock. So. And it's not, you know, and it's not, I mean, it could be 1500 if I just didn't care about the phone. <laughs> I mean, it could be bigger, but I, there, you know, there's just a lot we don't carry. And, um, you know, for example, there's a lot of really perfectly lovely, lightly aged, you know, either all column or, you know, white, he said, and giant air quotes that nobody's <laughs> doing the air quotes, everyone podcast. listening, yeah. doing massive air quotes, everybody. <laughs> no, I don't like that word. Um, and the, uh, but there's so many that are perfectly good, but I just, you know, either they're not designed to drink neat in the first place, or just there wouldn't be any necessary guest interest in them. And that and that's fine. We have plenty to choose from. It's not a big deal. There's lots and lots of... I'd uh, say so. A thousand. Yeah. yeah. So there's stuff like that. I don't really carry any... I, I only carry, I think at this point, three spiced rums. I have to have, I have, to have actually seen physical spices floating. <laughs> if I haven't seen them... And I don't carry it. And there's lots of craft distillers who are doing spice rum with real physical spice. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. 
So that's out there for sure. Um, and then, but I'm not interested in extracts and things like that. So I don't really do any of that, uh, those brands or just artificial flavors or whatnot. So those things are, are missing. We decided to do just kind of a, a, a hold on cachaça. We really only have uh, a handful of brands of cachaça because it, it not, not absolutely nothing against cachaça, but I just thought this could spiral and it's kind of hard to, you know, keep the focus. So I don't kind have of constraints somewhere. Yeah. Constraints somewhere. So I, I have very few cachaça. I'm, I'm having a lot more fun finding things like Paranubis. Now I, I like finding fresh cane juice rums from other places too. Cause I feel like that's giving me, I'd rather have a bunch of fresh cane juice rums from other countries um, yeah. for, to spread that message around more than absolutely have a, a massive selection of, of uh, Brazilian. So, yeah, so that's been, that's been great. We have been able to, we've done a lot of our own bottlings, of course, too. We've had a lot of private labels, individual still selections that I've done. The first chairman's reserve masters selection was for smugglers cove. And, we, uh, well, we thank you for that because John and I are big fans of the Master Selection series and yeah, really St. Lucia Distillers. Yeah. Yeah, I'm really glad that they decided to expand that into a fun annual series with really cool variety. And so now it's, um, and one of the big uh, exciting things for us out here in California is that we are on the cusp, he said optimistically, has to get through our California State Assembly, but we're on the cusp of making full bottle sales for bars permanent. Fingers crossed. Oh yeah. And that's going to change the game. I know it's been big for in Kentucky and things and to be able to sell whole bottles, we'll be able to, we'll be able to do a lot more really interesting selections and private bottlings and things. I mean, one of the, one of the problems of getting something like a, getting something like a, you know, a 250 bottle series of rums that are really expensive and mm. lovely and luxurious is I can't mix with them. Right. You know, the most yeah. out. So if I can't sell the whole bottles, which is why we've done a lot of these in partnership with, with, with stores. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we'll be looking to do more of that if this comes through. Um, um, and, uh, yeah, cause I remember we did, I did, I had this big dream on opening. I opened during pre-opening, I convinced Demerara distillers to bottle me a private label. And, wow. uh, and so I got, you know, we opened and I got delivered. I got 512 liter cases of this private label. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I, you know, then suddenly I hadn't really thought it all through. Like, where am I going to, where am I going to put this? <laughs> right. So I was at least able to convince the distributor to hang on to them and let me take them one by time. But what they wouldn't do, unfortunately, is give me any kind of payment terms. So I had to suddenly come up with a six figure invoice oh, right after opening. So I had to actually take another loan out. Wow. <laughs> here, here. Guys like, wow. like, like a big 18 wheeler here, sign for this cash on delivery. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> wait a minute, wait, wait, you want, you want do what, 21 days? You want it, it's payable, <laughs> what? Yeah, it was, um, yeah, that was. What, what were the specs on that run from DDL? So I created a blend, it's still secret, of largely existing, you know, existing products in, in their portfolio and things okay. like that. And I said, but I, it was, the whole thing was, the idea was to have something that would be really um, affordable by buying in volume. But really great, you know, featured all their signature marks in it, not all of them, but it had a lot of PM in it. It had a lot of EHP in it. It was, um, and I did it in one liter bottles, really simple, screw caps, no corks, just a tall bar, bar bottle. And then they actually, I actually ended up designing the label myself. I had to do the, all the government approval for the label. 
Um, the whole sure, thing that was through, fun working with the TTB. I hear that's oh, that really fun. Yeah, I mean, I was, this is my first time out and I didn't know what, I mean, I got this, you know, giant instruction manual of how to do it. <laughs> and then I also, in order to save money, I made the label black and white. I made it one-sided. So I put the barcode and the government warning on the front, of it, mm. front label. So it was all designed to just like, how can I make this as affordable as possible? And uh, so uh, it was great, and I love the rum, and I, I miss it. But um, it was—we've uh, moved on to other things. Things have evolved, and products have changed, and stuff. So it's sure. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it was it was fun. We had yeah, we opened with we opened with that. We opened with we had a private label um, California fresh cane juice rum from St. George Spirits. St. George, yeah. yeah. Um, that was their one of their earliest experiments, and I said I will take a barrel off of you, and mm-hmm. uh, we. We had this really wonderful, funky pot still cane juice rum from a cane fields that are no longer growing because we don't really have a lot of water anymore in California. But uh, yeah, it was uh, so we've we've from done it really for day one for 11 years. We've been doing private bottlings. And I, now now my mission is I'm collecting all of my just trying to collect all of my favorite stills. And that's kind of the. That was the uh, the impetus behind the uh, the first St. Lucia Distillers master selection. I just said I just want John Door number one by itself. That's all I want. Um, I don't want it to be old, especially five, six, whatever. It ended up being seven years old hmm. when we bottled it. I just want it. I just want it because uh, I didn't want it to be over oaked. I wanted it to just. I wanted it to be expressive of that still. Mm-hmm. Just it unfiltered cast strength, nothing. And they were down there writing. What do you? So what kind of filtration? No. <laughs> what, kind of, what proof do you want of that yes what do you want i said i want you to knock the bung off the top of the barrel and rotate it over into the and hold the bottles underneath it <laughs> that's all i want you to do <laughs> so but yeah we did that we i i love this i love the uh the the traditional column at english harbor so we did a calf strength bottling from english harbor just for the cove so we've been i'm, I'm sort of on a mission to keep doing this it's a lot of fun and uh and hopefully this log is passed i'll be able to keep it up yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Are, are there any other stills on your list that you haven't checked off yet that you feel like uh, sharing? Or is that going to be I, kind of a surprise? There are, there are several, but I don't feel like sharing. <laughs> <laughs> totally fair. Totally fair. So, Martin, I saw an interview you did a couple years back, and you kind of painstakingly took the time to explain that you don't consider yourself a bartender, which after reading Smuggler's Cove and the amount of knowledge packed into it and the amount of knowledge you've expressed here even today, I didn't kind of expect that. I was left to maybe presume you were making a distinction between the skill set of maybe a mixologist and a bartender maybe but if not i was hoping you could expand on that a bit and tell us a little bit about the difference between what you do and how you do it and the bartender oh yeah absolutely bartending is a fantastic skill uh, uh, that i am very bad at um the <laughs> simple as that i mean bartending requires so much i mean i love the old the old expression is great mixologist uh, serves drinks bartender serves people and um uh. You know, not only is it is it a question of that, is it about that service, about that guest interaction, about that friendship? Because yes, it's not that I'm I'm not mean to guests or something, but it's more than that. It's that it's a sense of look, kind of taking the whole room in at once, seeing where everybody is. It's that sense that you've, you're shaking the drink with one hand, you're stirring with the other, and just out of the corner of your right eye, you can just see that the guest at at bar two just took the last sip of their drink. So you know when these two are served, you're going to go right to that person and mm-hmm. say. Hey, what can I get you next? It's that it's that ability to multitask, to to work a bar, to, to and it's a really incredible skill. 
and hard to master. And frankly, in our industry, it's it's a shame because we lose some of the best all the time to brand work. But there's a real skill set that I am just not good at. <laughs> I mean, I can make you a fantastic drink, but it'll probably take a long time. And it'll <laughs> probably might be at the, uh, you know, to the uh, to the dismay of other people at the bar. <laughs> I'm not taking care of as quickly as I'd like to. So I, I say that specifically to go out of my way to, to tip my hat to bartenders and to mm-hmm. tip my hat to their skills and their credit. To me, I, I feel like I am a um, more of a multi-purpose sort of customer service, sales, idea, vision, all these different elements and and actually increasingly things like um, good at snaking toilets, um, <laughs> good at, uh, you know, good at mopping puke, those kind of things. Are, are Getting ponds to-, to work again? Yeah. Yeah. I sure wish I could do that. That's (laughs) an extra specialized skill set. Um, um, I did used to get in there all the time and clean it myself. And it was, uh, you know, you really see some terrible things. Um, it's, uh, my oft repeated sound advice. Don't put a water feature in a bar that guests can get at. (laughs) Hadn't thought about that. Yeah. It's not uh, that imagination is going some weird places now. You don't want to, you don't want to go there with it. (laughs) Um, So we don't. um, Yeah. So no, I think it's, yeah, I definitely, it's, it's, I say that out of huge deference and respect to bartenders. Mm -hmm. Speaking of which, one of the things I loved, you know, reading the the more kind of cocktail focused parts of the book, the tradition of secrets in, in tiki and exotic cocktail making. And, you know, there's there's only one recipe in the whole Smuggler's Cove book that, you know, you have Mark kind of covered up some of the secret ingredients of the Smuggler's Cove rum barrel. And I came across a thread the other day where some people were trying to decode the ingredients. And I'm I'm not going to get into asking what's in it or anything like that. But someone in the comments, I was wondering, you know, how do you safeguard secret recipes and things like that at Smugglers? And and someone left a comment saying that, and this might be completely untrue, but they mentioned that you and Rebecca still make the Smugglers Cove rum barrel kind of blend that goes into it at your house. Is that is that true? Or does someone make that up? No, no, it's 100% true. We've never loved that. It's the only ingredients that are. Um, <laughs> the only, it's the only item that is. It's the only one's a secret. Um, it's just an homage to what Don had done. How Don was basically doing it to dissuade other borrowers from poaching his staff. Mm-hmm. That it was kind of fun, but it was. It was more than that. I mean, that was a big part of it. But part of it was that mystique that you walked into a Don the Beachcomber and it just. I mean, if you see the original mention, here's the drink it's called Shark's Tooth. There's an illustration of the drink. There's a, a jaw, shark's jaw, bone jaw. That's it. That's it. That's all it says. That's the ingredient it's list. There's <laughs> not a single ingredient listed right. on this menu. And it was all made in the back. And that was part of the excitement. That was the adventure of this experience. I'm going to sit down. This sounds interesting. This sounds dangerous. This sounds uh, unusual. What's this? It's called the, you know, this is called the Navy Grog. Ooh, I guess that might be kind of hearty tasting. Or I don't know, you know, whatever it was. You, you took a chance. You, you took, it was a time when you would say, yeah, that sounds great. You just took it. And it's still like this, plenty of places, certainly like this at the Tiki Tea still. And um, you, this thing would arrive in front of you, frosty, cold, mysterious. You'd have to kind of try to piece together as you drank it. I just thought that was fun. Now, I think that day is kind of over. People love seeing drinks being made in front of them. They mm-hmm. like seeing the effort, the process. They, they like that. 
you know, obviously these days it's not really, you can't really get away with just saying, we're not going to tell you what's in it. Uh, there's lots of allergens and things like that, that we're all concerned about. So you can't really do that anymore, but we just wanted to have one as, as, as an homage. And so, yeah, absolutely. It contains ingredients that aren't used in any other drink at Smuggler's Cove. So there's, so there's no overlap. No one ever, you know, there's, there's some ingredients in it that aren't in anything else. So it, so it doesn't, it's easy. It's so, and we just bring it in, in this big, batches and we put it in squeezy bottles and the bartenders i would say the bartenders um probably lost interest in figuring out what it was about <laughs> 10 years ago they put a drug and make it yeah whatever it's a secret we don't know <laughs> so but yeah it's I, I think it's fun that some people try to try to hack it and uh, and things like that but um you won't so it's just like a weekly <laughs> a weekly ritual at at home it's whenever it's needed it haven't, hasn't been in a year but um yeah we yeah, we just yeah we did we we batch it up and uh, and bring it in in a big uh, food safe container and call it a day. Yeah. Love it. Sun- Sunday <laughs> nights at the Kate residence. Yeah. <laughs> also, yeah, we still make our we still make our hibiscus liqueur at home as well, um, but it's published. It's not a secret. Um, but yeah, that's still our uh, our, our little fun, and uh, it's good. And it had actually helped make the the Smuggler's Rum Barrel a really popular to go drink during lockdown. So yeah, I bet that's that's really cool. I'm glad something I read on the internet turned out to be true. Um, not, always, <laughs> not always the case. So that's one. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, so Martin, you've talked in the past about how rum has trouble conveying its own value in comparison to other spirits. And I think we covered a little bit of the reason why some of that today. But I was more interested in asking you, do you think at this point in 2021, despite COVID, do you think we've made up any ground at this point and that the landscape is changing or are we still just treading water here? And and where are you at with that? Oh, not at all. There's definitely um, there's been a tremendous amount of progress in conveying value. I think it's um, I think it's um, I I think we're we're miles ahead of where when I started looking into this stuff in the late 90s. I mean, it's just it's night and day. I mean, I remember um, I remember how Ed Hamilton, when he and I first met in probably 04, 05, and he was just starting to bring in Nissan, mm-hmm. and favorite. And so I remember that because of the constraints, because of what was traditional in Martinique, that there was, you know, that it was one liter bottles. Mm-hmm. Um, that it was much more common to see a one liter. And it was almost, you know, the 750s weren't down there. It was maybe you found 700s, of course, but not, but mostly everything was in a liter. So he thought, well, I'm going to just bring it in in liters. And, you know, there's no sense in trying to bring empty 750s to Martinique. But he had a problem because, of course, they were liter bottles and they ended up costing a lot more than most consumers were used to. Most rums on a shelf were in 750s in an American retail store. And so here's right. his were, and they were kind of jaw-dropping expensive. Not uh, uh, at the time jaw-dropping right. like But now, yeah, no, obviously you look at a bottle of Nissan and you think, well, you know the value of this bottle, you know the producers, you know, I mean, obviously, okay, not all Americans, but your listeners to your podcast know that this is a superb rum from a superb producer and people, consumers are smart enough to read the one L at the bottom of the bottle now and see, you know, that's, yeah, sure, that might be why it costs a little bit more. Mm -hmm. There were things like that I remember as being an issue, but I think the overall is just the breaking of that sort of 1195 barrier into the notion that it's now very commonplace. I mean, I remember 
I think Mount Gay had come in with, with I think 1703 struggled when it first came out mm-hmm. to establish traction, for example. But now look at this great selection of, you know, Trudy Ann Branker's new, uh, you know, port cask and all these things that are coming out. The pot still releases, the peat smoke expressions, all these great Mount Gays that are all sitting in that sort of 50 yeah. to $150 range can't keep them on the shelves. So this is good. I mean, I think it's uh, the change is happening. So no, tons of progress. Now, that's not to say we don't always take, you know, a couple steps back every year. There's always some new products that come out every year where I just think, oh, you know, come on, we've come so far. Things were going so well. I mean, 10 years ago, you know, more even, God, yeah, 15 years ago, I would say our problem is that when you walk into the scotch aisle, into the single malt scotch area of the liquor store, there is no pineapple scotch. There is no coconut scotch. There is no bubblegum scotch. Right. There is sour wild cherry scotch. That part of the... the dragon fruit perspective. scotch. Yeah, exactly. Dragon fruit. I don't know. What, who, what brand are you referring to, sir? Um, <laughs> the... Um, the, the, there was never, there's no perception that single malt scotch, you know, and that's what, you know, that was obviously a huge part of, you know, what Richard would, would, would campaign about. And, and, and it, and so we've kind of watched this come and go in ebbs and flows. There's been a lot of brands where, you know, I, brands who do offer that full spectrum that have these luxury high-end products and that also have these kind of artificial flavors. Yeah, yeah. Mixer, you know, they've got this balancing act that they have to play. They have to they have to juggle this this marketing message and not maybe always successfully in my mind, but they have to juggle this message. And that's why I remember when sort of Mount Gay stopped doing flavors, it was just easier. You know, it's like this is just going to be a lot easier for us to stop trying to sell all these flavors. We can just get on with it. Sure, there's no question there's still transparency issues. There's still yeah. I mean, but they're vastly improved from where they used to be. And I think a lot of folks coming into rum now, you know, who are critical and but relatively new to the category i feel it used to be a lot you've got it good sonny <laughs> yeah no it is really yeah no not to be the old guy shaking just at the yeah that's definitely the uh, i feel like i feel like there's for the every step but i mean some years i'd say there's two steps back one step forward but most years i'd say there's two steps forward and one step back yeah. and i do think that i like to see rum continue to focus on conveying its value conveying the quality conveying the effort of everybody throughout the chain involved in producing great rum and just trying to lure more people over from other categories. I like to see rum trying to attract people out of scotch, attract people out of bourbon, uh, rather than just sort of trying to cannibalize the same piece of pie by fighting uh, for the same other rum drinker. I think it's Mm -hmm. more important to attract the the drinker of other spirits. And uh, those people are are ready to, to discover. I mean, we, I do it all the time, every day for 11 years, you know, I, I, people coming out of bourbon, people coming out of scotch, almost nobody who's come into my bar in 11 years, uh, save a handful of existing junkies. And this is pretty, pretty recent has, you know, more than a handful of brands off the tip of their tongue. You know, there's a couple of well-knowns, there's a couple of big ones, but most people aren't walking in and, and saying, you know, I say, well, what do you like to drink? And they say, well, I've, you know, long been a fan of the, I don't know, of the, of the, of the Habitation Valley range or something like that. I mean, it's, that's, that's new. I mean, yeah. so, but most people aren't going to come in with a bunch of favorites the way that I think is way more common in scotch, um, in tequila, yeah, even in Irish whiskey. I mean, so there, there's such a big market out there. And so growth is, 
I do read, you know, I stay on top of that information. Growth is slow in rum, always is. There's typically some years are negative. But even when you see a negative growth in rum one year, when you parse the category and you see, you know, that it was being dragged down by the by the bottom shelf stuff. Right, right. Falling, but meanwhile, this much smaller volume, but much more premium, super premium selections growing. Mm-hmm. are growing. And so there is a lot of promise here. So it's about it's about keeping these things accessible and in volume and but without sacrificing character. So more brands releasing great characterful products. I mean, obviously, you know, Appleton, for example, is always released high quality stuff at great yeah. price points. Certainly everything that, uh, you know, Foursquare is sending through to Total Wine is making sure that there's really excellent quality rum at very low prices. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So there's a lot of, it's it's still, the entry point is still not onerous. I mean, in, in a way that other spirits are. I mean, it's, right. getting, it's getting tough for sure. Mm-hmm. And Rightfully so, it deserves to be worth more, but it's 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 still a way to there's still lots of terrific ways into this category that you'll just love. I still drink I'm standing behind the bar last night, people are talking, I'll just reach into my well and drink some every day, you know, drink an Appleton or something and just say, you know, I know it's around all the time and it's everywhere, but it's it's good. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Appleton's whole the signature to eight to twelve is is still so great. You, you know, even uh I don't think I'll ever, you know, grow tired of those or be above them in any way. So uh, yeah. great point. Well, Martin, uh you've been generous with your time. You've hung out with us here for over an hour. You're a very busy person. You have a bar to re have bars to reopen. So we really I appreciate it. one right now. Yeah. <laughs> leaping from this call. <laughs> um, so before we go, we have one uh tradition here on the Rumcast. It's an optional segment um that, that you may choose to participate in or decline, but it is a rapid fire question segment where I put sixty seconds on the clock and John goes through uh, some quick <laughs> questions in succession. And uh, yeah, are you are you up for it? I'm up for it, but I may email you declining it later. <laughs> <laughs> That's the beauty. That's the beauty of, of not doing this live. Um, That's great. I saw Martin adjusting his uh, posture here. He was getting ready. He was like, all right, loosen up here. Yeah. Let's get going. Yeah, yes. Stretch a little bit. Get the game right. face on. have a rum. God. <laughs> all right. I just assumed I saw you taking sips of some clear liquid, and I just assumed it's it was DOK because you kept bringing up DOK. So. <laughs> As, I, as you do, just sitting around right. drinking six minutes. <laughs> we would have been able to smell it through the Zoom call. <laughs> All right, go ahead. All right, John, are you ready? Ready. All right, I've got 60 seconds and go. All right, neat or on the rocks? Neat. Column, pot, or blend? Decline the state. <laughs> <laughs> aged or unaged? Find the state. <laughs> <laughs> Molasses or cane juice? Oh, definitely taking the fourth. <laughs> <laughs> Three for three. <laughs> for fictional smugglers, do you prefer Han Solo or Malcolm Reynolds from Firefly? Oh, my God. Uh, Solo, for sure. Okay. We know you've traveled a lot and are part owner in great bars across the U.S. as we talked about. Have you ever visited an American city and been like, oh, my God, this city needs a Martin Kate rum bar immediately? If so, which one? Uh, Grand Rapids, and it's there. <laughs> All right. Yes. Texas. Yes. Uh, Don Beach or Trader Vic? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Steve Crane. <laughs> ah, nice. Ooh, nice. <laughs> Is there a long lost prequel to the Smuggler's Cove book that will only be released posthumously? Yeah, uh, Mar- Martin Kate, My Life in Vodka. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which are you more proud of, Smuggler's Cove the Bar or Smuggler's Cove the Book? 
Oh my God! Definitely declined the state. <laughs> no, that's not. That's not. Sorry, that's not true. The bar. Okay. <laughs> your, your wife might be mad at you for that one. I just said she's, she's part of the bar too. All right. Don Beach's real name was Ernest Gant. As far as we know, your real name is Martin Kate. But if you were to create a tiki alias, do you know what it would be? That's a great question. Um, back in the old days of Tiki Central, I was just Martiki. It was close enough. There we go. <laughs> and that's time. All right. <laughs> Thanks so much, Martin. That was fun. Well declined for some of those. Uh, we, we, we understand uh, that, that that we we put you on the spot there. Remember that I am a retailer. I have lots <laughs> of friends and lots of different brands. <laughs> we, we, we understand the value of diplomacy here, so it's all good. Yeah. Uh, no, seriously, uh, Martin, thank you so much. This is a blast. And uh, for everyone listening, if for some reason you don't already have a copy of Smuggler's Cove, uh, go get it. Uh, if you are in the San Francisco area, go visit them after the reopening. And if you're in <laughs> Chicago, Portland, San Diego, Grand Rapids, go visit all the other bars. Um, they're great. We'll mention specifically what those are when we record the intro. But thank you again so much. And uh Enjoy the reopening. Have a blast. Thank you, Will and John. Much appreciated. Good times. All right, everyone. Thanks again for listening to another episode of the Rumcast. If you want to learn more about Smuggler's Cove, you can go to their website at smugglerscovesf.com. We'll also put links to that in the show notes and you know to some other Smuggler's Cove related stuff so you can check that out. Would highly encourage you to pick up a copy of the book if you don't have it yet. And remember, if you are close in the area around San Francisco, reopening June 15th. So go in person and check it out. Have a cocktail. Enjoy it. And uh, last but not least, after you do that, if you haven't already, head on over to Apple Podcasts. Leave a review for the Rumcast. We love to see your feedback on the show. And when you do that, it helps other people find the podcast, which is always nice for us. And uh, if you want to you know, reach out, uh, if you have ideas for future episodes or you have questions you want us to address on the show, email is a great way to reach us. We're at host at rumcast.com. That's host at rumcast.com. And John, I believe we're on some of those social media platforms out there oh, yeah. that exist that I've heard so much about. Where are we? Where can people find us out there? We are all over the internet, Will. We are Facebook and we are at Instagram and that you can find us there at uh, the Rumcast on either site. And we are always happy to engage in conversation and talk about uh, some of our episodes. If there's feedback, you can always leave comments there. And I thought it was cool that we started with uh, talking about the Smuggler's Cove as one of the best rum-focused bars out there in the world. And We'd love to maybe think about talking to more people from different rum-focused bars from around the world as part of a series. So yeah. let us know maybe, you know, what are some of those other rum bars or meccas for rum geeks like us that we should be talking about? Where do we go next? So hit us up on those social channels or email and let us know what your thoughts are. Absolutely. All right, John. Well, until next time, I'll see you then. All right. <laughs>